0: My name is Deepak Sharma and I'm a professional speaker, public speaking and communication coach. And we are bringing to you professional speakers from all over the world to help you realize your potential and understand from their journey, how they have reached where they are today. Friends, welcome to another episode of Your Story, Your Glory. Today we have somebody who is a great friend, a great coach and a great storyteller. Without any further ado, let me invite Michael Davis from Speaking CPR. Welcome Mike to our show, Your Story, Your Glory. It's my pleasure to have you on this show.
1: Thank you, Deepak. Uh, We've known each other a long time and uh, thrilled to be here with you. Uh,
0: Thank you, Mike. So to start with, before I ask you different questions, I would like to know your story that has made you a glorious coach.
1: Well, my story starts on a desk in first grade back in 1969. Uh, It was four months after Neil Armstrong had taken his giant leap for mankind. I was going to be the the third man on the moon, even (laughs) though I was only six years old. So one day during recess, it was rainy outside. I was bored. So I decided to jump on my desk and practice my astronaut skills. And I was having a great time, Deepak, right up until the time my teacher walked back in the room. And she looked at me and she said, well, since you love standing on your desk so much, You get to stand on your desk during nap time so everybody can see you. It's about about an hour and a half later. Lights are down. Rain's hitting the window. And all the kids are resting their heads on their desks. But they're not sleeping. They're taunting the kid who's standing on his desk. (laughs) They're looking up and making faces. (sighs) And every second I'm on that desk, all I can think is, please let me get down. I just want to get down. Please, I'll never be bad again. You know, this is 52 years ago. I don't know how long I was on the desk. It felt like hours. But when Mrs. North said, you can get down now, I hope you've learned your lesson. I thought, don't ever stand in front of people again. That was <laughs> awful. And that message stayed with me for 25 years until, ironically, in my job as a financial planner, part of what I had to do was give retirement planning workshops in front of people. (laughs) So those weren't going too well. In fact, one day my boss called me into his office and he said, "Uh, this isn't good. And he hands me a stack of papers. He said, read these. And I started thumbing through them and oh, these are evaluations from last week's workshop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Read through them. No, I'm flipping through. And people have written comments like, does this guy ever take a breath? Does this guy ever stand still speaker gave too much information too fast. I feel like I've been hit by a fire hose. I mean, it was just one after another, and they were awful. And when we were done, uh, near the end of the meeting, my boss said, look, we hired you because you said you could get new clients to the door. This isn't working. Fix this or else. Uh... And in that moment, I had a bigger fear than standing in front of people. I was going to lose my job that I'd worked so hard to get to. Uh, That forced me to look for a solution, which looked led me to Toastmasters, Ah. and eventually the National Speakers Association, and that literally changed the course of my life.
0: Absolutely.
1: So that's how I got to be this, and then from there, I, I discovered that speaking is a skill that we can all learn. I discovered I had a knack for helping other people. Along the way, I created a desire to be a speech trainer and a speaker, and eventually started writing books about it, too. So here I am, 52 years after being on that desk
0: so that uh, so as as we say you cannot connect the dots looking forward you can only connect the dots looking backward and uh-huh. now you can say you can say that was the right moment i think
1: yeah and each of us has those moments like you said look back and in the moment they were painful yeah but they were there for a purpose to push you in a direction that you didn't even realize you were being pushed into
0: Yes, that's your story to your glory. Thank you, Mike, sharing this wonderful story with us because it's going to inspire many people. A lot of people give up in these kind of situations that they cannot speak. It's not their cup of tea. Right. And I was also one of them. I ran from Toastmaster after my first meeting, never came back for six months. And happens with most of them. And it's important, like you said, to come back to learn, to jump out. As now you are running this organization called Speaking CPR. Yes. I love this name, CPR, Speaking CPR. Uh, and you are also coaching, training, a lot of speakers, presenters, leaders in your journey of uh, public speaking and professional speaking. Yes, absolutely. When you say you work with leaders, help them become more confident and influential, Yes. What does that mean? Means leaders are not confident. It does. Does it mean like that?
1: My experience in in working with the circle of friends I have who are coaches and speakers is I've seen that leaders are often subject to the imposter syndrome especially when it comes to standing in front of a group of people. And this happened just yesterday. I've been working with a group of people from a local young professionals organization. Okay Yes, they're fantastic people. They are brilliant. Some of them started from nothing and are, have businesses worth a100 million dollars. But a lot of that was done behind the scenes. I mean, they laid the groundwork. And yes, they had to get out in front of the public, but they may have had a partner who did that. So when at this young professionals organization, four of them had been voluntold, you're speaking, we want to hear your story about how you handled COVID. Two of them were extremely nervous. And these are successful people running eight and nine figure businesses, And it just reminded me that it doesn't matter what your title is, the act of public speaking is, I believe, in our DNA, not a comfortable experience because of our earliest ancestors. Where you, if you stood out from the crowd, you very likely ended up as lunch for a saber-toothed tiger. (laughs) So it's in us to say this is a scary situation. Fortunately, we've evolved with higher brains that can tell us, no, those people out there aren't here to eat you. They're too busy. They got better things to do. So it is a scary situation. It's not something they, they're, they're used to. They can go through spreadsheets and, and put together sales presentations, but put them in front of an audience. They're like you and me. Yes. So
0: leading question from here. As you said, the leaders have somebody behind the scene who has put a lot of work from them and they have never spoken in front of people. And whenever they get a chance and they fumble. Now, many leaders, and I'm uh, asking this question because I have also seen, and you must have also seen, many leaders think that we are leaders. We don't have to go and learn these skills because we know it. And then they, when the opportunity comes, They don't even think that they are not able to really influence or able to deliver the message. I have seen a lot of people reading out the presentations and delivering the message. How do a leader should understand this blind spot?
1: I agree with you that they may think that they don't have to, or it's not important, but they quickly discover it is, especially in a crisis like we've had the last 20 months with, with the lockdown businesses need to get out in front of the public. But I think business owners fall prey to the same belief that you and I and everyone else has. And that is this, my story is not that special. Yes. Every person I work with, and I try not to use extreme words like every, but every person I've ever worked with, I've had to help shine a light on their experiences to explain to them why that is a special or extraordinary story. And it's very simple. It's called the curse of knowledge. We know our lives and our stories. We don't think it's anything extraordinary because we lived it. I learned this lesson from my mother when I was early in my days of, of a speech coach. Uh, my mom was born in German occupied France in World War II. Mm-hmm. In the first four years of her life, all her memories are of German soldiers and bombs dropping almost every night, running to a storm, a, a bomb shelter, yeah. and in the daytime, starving, looking for food. I mean, they were constantly hungry. Mm-hmm. So, when she was telling me this story, we happened to be sitting in my home in a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio, about a mile and a half from a 24 hour grocery store in an air conditioned home. I could not understand or emotionally understand or relate to that story. I've never had to run to a bomb shelter. Absolutely. I've never been hungry. So, when she told me the story, she got done, and all I could say was, mom, how did grandma and grandpa do that? How did they, you and and Aunt Nicole and grandma and grandpa get through all that? She said, well, it's just what we did, honey. And it took me a few days, but I thought about her answer and said, she doesn't get it because that was her everyday experience. It is really, it is embedded in her nervous system. That's just how life is. And you take anybody who's been through extremes, Uh, maybe extreme poverty and and, and lifted themselves out or climbed mountains or gone to the bottom of the ocean they're like well that's just part of their experience and they don't see how we can benefit from that experience
0: yes yes and every story as they as they say is special and uh, we and people can use their stories
1: to help uh impact other lives yes Now, I would agree that every story can be special. I do work with a fair amount that that need the work to make them so they're interesting to the audience and they inspire the audience to take some kind of action.
0: So when we're talking about stories and also talking about leaders influencing uh, people through their messages, what role stories play in delivering a message or influencing generations or teams or people around us
1: what comes to mind is some advice i actually got from my friend and he's been a mentor for years now michael hagg who is a hollywood script writing consultant for three decades and works with businesses now and he told me he said the purpose of story is to elicit emotion absolutely And the way we do that is really one of three ways. We create sympathy for your character. You put that person in jeopardy or you make that person likable. And many times it's all three. So when the story involves this journey of someone who you have sympathy for, they're on this extraordinary journey, when we can relate to them, that's when the story becomes influential. And this is where I find a lot of leaders, they, they think that people want to hear about these fantastic successes they've had and how they went from zero to 100 million. And I constantly have to tell them that's not what people want to hear, at least not in the beginning. What they want to hear is how you're just like them which means you had a dream and you started this business and you had some success. And then you had this major obstacle and it looked like you were going to lose the business. And then you got over that obstacle. And then here came some more success and another obstacle. That's what they want to see. That's where the jeopardy and sympathy and likability comes in and they can, they see that, Oh, he's just like me. She has gone through the same journey I have. And that's how you connect. I can also do it. Exactly. Yeah. And we take people off of the pedestal that we often put some of these folks on and bring them down to our level and say, hey, I'm just like you.
0: Yeah.
1: I just kept going.
0: Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. As a leader, again, I'm talking about leader because most of these leaders struggle to craft their messages or through stories. What are some of your tips that they can use to craft their stories?
1: Number one is don't think that people want to hear about the huge events, the big success, the major loss, the event that I coached people for that happened yesterday. What happened, Deepak, is one of the gentlemen, one of the most smartest people I've ever met. He and his business partner started a, a brewery here in Cincinnati, a, a microbrewery, which are all popular now, mm-hmm. uh, eight years ago. And it was going extremely well when COVID and the lockdown hit. Yes. A lot of people can't relate to starting a brewery from scratch. Yes. But what they could relate to was this. And I, I, we weren't really finding that connecting story. I said, what were you doing the day the lockdown was announced? He said, I was in my kitchen. And my two-year-old son was running around and... At the time I knew this lockdown was coming and I was panicked. I'm thinking I'm going to lose my business. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my family. What am I going to do? And my two-year-old kept running around and pulling at my leg. And, and finally he said, I looked across the kitchen and there was this coffee press that I had just bought. And I got sick of drinking stale coffee. And he said, I had this thought, why don't I sit on the floor with my son and let's grind coffee together let's do something together and i said that's the story absolutely because i can relate to that as a dad anybody who's ever been a child covers most people or has children and been in that situation we can see him on the floor cross-legged with his little boy grinding the coffee with all of this concern but putting the concern to the side just for a few minutes to be with his son. And out of that came a thought which helped him save his business.
0: Super, fantastic.
1: Yes, and that's that's the relatability. Find those moments that we can relate to that give insight into your thought process, your fears, your feelings, and people will go on that journey with you.
0: So as a nutshell, you're saying that Every story, we have to find that relatable component that people can immediately connect to when you are, they are hearing your story. Yes. So friends, it is very important. As uh, I heard from Mark Baron, also, commonality connects.
1: Yeah, it does. And, and here's the key to that, Deepak. You and I and everyone, if you're watching this, you cannot find those stories on your own.
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. The reason being, this goes back to what I said, lesson I learned from my mother, this concept called the curse of knowledge. You lived it, you're too close to it. Somebody outside of you, whether it's in a Toastmasters meeting, a personal coach, somebody has to give a fresh pair of eyes to your journey to say that will resonate with people.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So it is very important to have a third eye perspective. Look at your life and dig out that gold so that you can craft that messages for your audience. Absolutely, that's the key. Now moving ahead from storytelling, you also teach improve, I believe. Am I right?
1: Absolutely, yeah, we sure do.
0: Does improve also helps in delivering a strong message, or is it a different technique
1: at all? I don't even like to think of it in terms of technique. What, what improv helps you do is be present, be in the moment, and listen to what's going on in front of you as far as your audience. Okay. The key to improv, let's say the, the, the number one myth about improv is it's all about being funny. Yeah. Think
0: that,
1: yeah. yeah, humor is a byproduct of improv. What improv is really about is teamwork. The the, b- the base concept, and, and if you're watching this and you know anything about improv, you've heard of yes and. Yes,
0: yes and. Yeah.
1: Concept of yes and is I'm going to give you an idea. You're going to build on it with the con- yeah yes and, and then you say something. And it comes back and forth. It's like a tennis match. A a well played tennis match, it goes back and forth, but you're constantly building the scene and the idea that forces you to be present so you listen to everything being said. So as a speaker, presenter, leader, you're in front of a group, things happen, the unexpected occurs, you have to be able to shift and deal with that. And you can also listen to your audience. You can watch them. You can scan and see are they making, are they distracted by their phones? In the old days, it was, are they reading a newspaper in the back of the room? Mm -hmm. It it helps you to stay there and be in that moment and not thinking about something else or not being focused on your message, which you should have practice enough to not have to think about it so you can pay attention to what's going on in front of you. That's where I've seen improv helps the most with speakers.
0: So it means when they are in the present and think they are able to think on their feet fast and able to change adapt to the situation. Yes that's what, And is there a is there a training for that or we can learn by some practice or some
1: process, there are improv schools all over the country. My I say schools, I don't mean like a university. I mean, there are some here in my city of Cincinnati. And actually, one of the groups I'm part of that you know very well, Stage Time University, we host twice a month, a 90-minute improv. Uh, and we didn't think a year ago when we started this that you could get away with virtual improv. <laughs> but it has been fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it really has. Now, there are some games you can't get into because they just have to be done in front of a a group. But I'd say 80 percent of the improv games and skits we do perfectly
0: fine on camera. Okay, so I think I can recommend uh, the audience here if they want to learn improv, they can come to this session of yours.
1: Am I right? Absolutely, yeah, and if you uh, will give some contact information at the end, you can get in yeah. touch with me, I'll show you how to do it. And we've got people that join from all over the country, actually from outside the United States.
0: Absolutely, For no.
1: improv. Yeah, the world has
0: become so small. It has. So <laughs> yes. Yes. So, uh, Michael, in the end, I would like to ask you, your three top Michael's tip that can make anybody a great presenter?
1: Number one is, as you're putting a presentation together, have a crystal clear message you want to leave people with. Notice I said a crystal clear message. One of the big challenges I see is people have too many messages, so we don't know what to do. Like I'm not the first person to say this, Deepak. We have way too much information being thrown at us. In fact, we don't need more information yes. in speeches. That's the second tip. We have one message, but number two is don't hit us with a bunch of information. There's nothing that you can give me that I can't go on my phone right now and get faster and in more detail than you'll ever give me. Mm-hmm. What audiences want today is your perspective on a topic, your unique spin. I'm not the first person that that, you're the only story coach that's out there. I'm not the only presentation skills coach or the only TEDx coach, but I do have my own experiences. Mm -hmm. I've had my own unique set of mentors, which I think is unique in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And that gives me my unique standing in this field, but I don't give people a bunch of information. I share stories that highlight those experiences and give them some practical uses that they can immediately put to use by the time I'm done speaking. And the third is when you speak, be natural. Yeah. One of my biggest challenges with a lot of the speaking coaches that I run across is that they're very big on the delivery and gesture and getting into acting. And I think that's a huge mistake. Because what people want today more than anything else is they want speakers who are real. Get up there and speak and you're going to make mistakes and who cares?
0: I remember I heard you saying this uh, rather a couple of years back when I was participating in a contest Mm -hmm. and I was uh, uh, doing some online coaching with you guys and you mentioned this one line. Deepak speaks like as if you are talking to somebody on the dining table.
1: Exactly. This is a big challenge. I see a lot of people go into speaker mode. Like, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to take on my speaker voice. <laughs> yeah.
0: no,
1: we want you to be the same person up there that you are off stage having lunch across the table yeah. and just talk with us. Now you're talking to a bunch of people. I get it, but just pick one person at a time, say a few things to that person and move on to the next. But always make it about a conversation. So and, I
0: would like to ask ex- one question on this particular point for my Toastmasters friend, you know? Sure. Because uh, there is a big myth here in Toastmasters and I have also picked up that myth during my journey and now I have... Stop doing it uh, since I have joined NSA. This myth is that you have to be a little animated while delivering an international speech contest. And as you said, but the myth is not going. So what is your message for Toastmasters who are delivering that five to seven minute speech and they want to give their
1: best performance? Well, first thing I do is ask a question. Think about speakers who've had an impact on you that have a message that resonates and you can go back 50 or 60 years or as long as you want and go back to Dr. King. I have a dream. Yeah. Do you remember his gestures that day Absolutely. when President Kennedy stood in Rice University in 1961, I believe, and said, we're going to the moon. Yeah. We don't remember what he did with his hands. We remember what he said and how he said it. So lose the gestures. And I know that's part of the judging criteria. To me, it's just not authentic. The world champions who I am close friends with, several of them did not Mm -hmm. win a world championship because they did something with their hands. They did something with their face. Those were congruent with their message. One exception is my very dear friend, Darren LaCroix who fell down. But it was for a reason. It, it was a demonstra- a metaphor for his entire message. That's why it was brilliant. But no, it wasn't because he did this with his hands. or any- No, they speak from the heart. They give a message that's easy to remember. And it's applicable right away. Just put your hands to your side. And they'll do what they do.
0: But sometimes it is your, pers- for example, Darren is a personality also. You know, it, it is him. When he was on the stage, it was like Darren.
1: So exactly.
0: If so if people people try to bring in animated language deliberately into their personality, which actually conflict with their personality. So the message yeah.
1: is. Yeah, and I hope I, I don't want anybody to misinterpret what I'm saying. Yeah. If you're an animated person, be animated. Yeah. That's who you are. Yeah. What I refer to is, and I'm going to stereotype for a moment because I have a couple of clients who are accountants. Right? Yeah. <laughs> They are very laid back, somewhat introverted.
0: Yeah,
1: And they said, what should I do with my hands? I said, put them to your side. How do you talk to a client? <laughs> yeah. And they said, I, I have my hands to my side. Great. Keep them there for this talk. Now, Darren, on the other hand, if you don't know who Darren is watching this, he's he's a world champion of public speaking, certified uh, speaking professional. He's a highly energetic and animated speaker. If he were to be more laid back and put his hands to his side <laughs> we would all think is Darren sick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, right it, it just be more of who you are that's what we want because I audience think, audiences sense it they know yeah. if you're not being authentic I
0: think everybody uh, Darren Mark you always talk about authenticity and authenticity in the body language too not only yeah. in the message you know it makes a huge difference.
1: Yeah, and here's the simple question to ask yourself when you're practicing, rehearsing is, do I talk this way? Yeah. And if you're not sure, ask somebody else. They'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) They'll say, who are you trying to be?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. You're absolutely right. So in case somebody has to contact you for coaching or guidance on becoming a great presenter, or on speech coaching, where should we contact you?
1: I'm actually going to give you, and I have a, a, a virtual business card now, Deepak, and if you can put this under the, the video, but it's, it's infone, I-N-Phone <laughs> C-O, slash speaking cpr okay and what that is it's like a virtual card it look when you go to the site it looks like a phone actually but there are buttons on there where you can email oh. me you can call me you can download free reports and tips if you want to have a 20 minute session just to talk about your stories happy to talk with you no obligation but go to that it's in phone dot c o Slash speaking CPR, and you'll have access to everything I offer.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And your website is speakingCPR.com. It is
1: speakingCPR.com.
0: Okay. So, Mark's, uh, Mike's website is speakingCPR.com, friends. In case if any of you wants to have a one to one conversation with Mike for 20 minutes,
1: absolutely.
0: It is free of cost. He can guide you and help you if you want to move forward with him for any further guidance. Thank you, Mike, for your time on this show, your story, your glory. It was my pleasure to host you. Thank you, Deepak. Great to see you again. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to our show. If you like the episode, please share your comments, what you have learned from Michael Davis. Keep coming back keep sharing these episodes because these small insignificant looking things can help you deliver an impactful message. I'll see you back in our next episode of Your Story, Your Glory. Till then, bye-bye.